the Pro Wrestling Vault. 35 short stories including Harley Race, Barrett Brown, Ricky Morton, Cordell Walker, Tracy Smothers, and Tim Storm. Along with 400 photos from the independent scene. Get your book today by going to Russellville.com. Russellville. It's, it's where wrestling lives. Ringing the Bell Radio. Listen to JD, Barris, and Logan talk about wrestling news, reviews, in depth conversations, and interviews. The podcast that we want to hear, and you will to Ring the Bell Radio. We call it in the ring. You're listening to the Wrestleville Podcast, and I'm the master of a thousand holds, Mike Quackenbush. You're listening to the Wrestleville Podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Berry, and my guest today is Mike Quackenbush, trainer, wrestler, author, just about anything in wrestling, I'm sure he's done. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Vinny, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you for coming on. And mm-hmm. I am excited to talk to you. Right on. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, I'm happy to talk about all the various things uh, that I do within the world of wrestling. I'm the jack of all trades, but the master of none. Uh, but eventually, I'm going to get good at some of it. Well, on the outside looking in, I would just guess right i don't know this because i didn't ask you this but i'm gonna guess with everything that you've done in wrestling you've learned how to make a living in it that's right yeah i've been very fortunate i guess maybe since 2007 yeah yeah 2007 it was the summer um wrestling kind of became my full-time job when the day job i had caught on to the fact that a lot of the hours i was spending at my desk were being spent on wrestling and they thought you know what maybe it's time we part ways and in that moment i realized oh boy wrestling just became my full-time job so uh it's, it's been a real learning curve and discovering all the different ways in which you can uh make a living in wrestling i think from the outside you know you might imagine well it's probably being a wrestler or possibly promoting your own events. But the truth is, as I've discovered, there's so many different jobs in the world of wrestling. If you're passionate about wrestling, if you really love it, there's tons of ways to get involved. Share some of the jobs that you've had. Well, uh, all the way back in the 90s, this was about uh, spring of 1998. I was lucky enough to get hired by Pro Wrestling Illustrated. So one of the first kind of surprise jobs I had I'd only been wrestling three or four years by that point was to get called up by Bill Apter's assistant who said we've been reading your blog online in fact the word blog wasn't even a thing yet they said we've been reading the website where you post your travel logs would you want to come write those for pro wrestling illustrated and uh, I realized this might seem quaint to people who have grown up uniquely in the internet era of wrestling but when I was coming up Seeing your name in a wrestling magazine was a thrill that was tough to match. It meant that you had arrived to a certain sense to be covered by the after mags. So the fact that they were asking me to come and be part of the team, well, my mind was blown by this. Now, did I ever have my heart set on becoming a freelance magazine writer when I started out? I don't know that that was on my to-do list, but I wrote for them for 10 years in a variety of capacities. I learned the magazine trade. I learned what it was to be a freelance writer. 
And even though when I started out making nine and a half cents a word, working for Kappa Publishing doesn't sound especially sexy or glamorous. You know what? Like over time, that came to be a really important part of my overall wrestling portfolio that I worked in the magazines for 10 years. So that's one where I think, you know, maybe that wouldn't even cross people's minds. In the latter part of my career now, I do a lot of consulting work. Who'd have thought working as a wrestling consultant would be a thing? But Every once and again, somebody calls up and says, hey, we got to retain your services. Can you fix some of these storylines that aren't hitting the way that we want? Or why isn't this character over? Could we send you two hours of footage to analyze for us? So even though our minds immediately always go to the match itself, and what does it take to produce a live event? Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg in wrestling. So when, you know, I would, fair to say that, you found some kind of a formula that that works for you. What what do you think mm -hmm. the success is? What do you, what do you think? You know, if people are coming to you for consultant work, and uh, we'll get into talking about Shakara here in a minute. But sure. you know, that was a successful promotion, and and uh, you guys uh, were causing a lot of buzz with that. Um, what what do you think the formula is? That's a fantastic question. Uh, and it's interesting in that all the interviews I'd, I've done, I don't think anyone's ever asked that, Vinny. So well done. Um, but as I think about it, from the public facing version of it, it is a matter of finding um, you're your own unique take on it and then committing to it 100%, not getting halfway into it and starting to second guess yourself. Like, oh, I don't know. Is this too much of that? Are we, are we going to appeal to a broad enough audience? I'm a big believer in an old quote I heard by Joel Hodgson, the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. He said, we never asked ourselves, who's going to like this? We told ourselves the right people will like this. Uh, the, uh, the audience will be there if you commit hard enough to a direction. And uh, I think AEW is an interesting example that I think ROH has like this motif to it that's unlike what anybody else makes out there. Or look at stardom in Japan. Look at the current version of the NWA, Billy Corgan's NWA. That has an aesthetic and a motif. It's got a flavor to it. That doesn't taste like WWE. You buy what they're putting out on Friday nights. Billy's NWA doesn't taste like that. So if you're in the mood for that flavor, you know the only thing that can satisfy it is that NWA. Um, so I think as long as what you're making is a unique flavor out there, somebody's going to have an appetite for it. Not everybody wants vanilla ice cream. Not everybody wants chocolate. They want to go to the end of the row at Baskin Robbins, see that weird blue and pink one. And they're like, give me that. I want whatever that is and just right. commit to it hard. So I think that's part of it. And then for me, thinking about my, my work as a writer, a coach, a consultant, and that type of stuff that I do, a lot of the behind the scenes type work. Um, I think one of the things I've dove into hard for the last five years is, can we codify certain elements of pro wrestling to make them easier to teach to people because i do believe wrestling is an art form first and foremost and similar to playing guitar if you have a great teacher show you how to do it then it's just down to you putting in the practice can you put in the hours not everybody's going to be eric clapton not everybody's going to be lindsey buckingham not everybody's going to be a world-class guitarist and you know i use that analogy meaning not everyone's going to be the next top wrestling star in the world, right? Uh, uh, a Hiroshi, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi only comes along once in a generation. 
it's rare to get guys like that, but you can learn the art form and it will deepen your appreciation for it. Even if you're just a fan to understand how complex it is, how nuanced it is, gives you an appreciation for how beautiful wrestling is. And I wish I could share that with more people because that makes me passionate about the craft. Well, I have a question for you. If, if you have somebody who's athletic, who has a passion for wrestling and uh, may not fit the mold, right? But, but you take out, you know, hey, you know what? You do this well, you do this well, you got this. Hey man, you got green hair, whatever it is, right? And, and they accentuate that and they, they focus on whatever he does special. There, there is a, uh, you know, uh, what's to say that that guy can't make it, right? Yes, absolutely. If you've got a team around you and no wrestler makes it on their own, uh, despite what they might like to say in their autobiographies, um, no wrestler makes it on their own. It's a team of people behind the scenes in the ring working to make you, to get you somewhere. And you're right. If that team is good at accentuating your positives, showcasing your talents and hiding your weaknesses, which everybody has. Everybody has something they're not good at. Everybody has a weak point in their game. If the team accentuates those positives, then yeah, you can make just about anybody into a star if the team is dedicated. But if you're out there trying to make it all happen on your own, wow, that is a tough road. And another question I have for you is for someone who knows wrestling like you do there's some wrestlers that we see at at a, at a certain company right say company a and they'll they'll be there and they don't quite do it but we're at home thinking why don't they do it like this and why don't they do it like that right it's real easy to do arm arm armchair quarterback right absolutely but, but when that wrestler goes to another company B and you know he does all the things that at home we were saying he should do and he does and he has a different presentation maybe he he has a little more success maybe the fans buy into it a little more but why do you think that do you think that maybe some companies are sold on an idea that they should have let go some time ago for, for uh, certain wrestlers. Sure, absolutely. I, 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 I feel that deep in my bones, what you're saying. Um, arguably the most famous guy I ever trained was Cesaro, Claudio Castagnoli. Uh, so what an, a, an example there, right? Seeing about where he peaked in WWE versus um, like what's going on right now in AEW, you could look at company A versus company B and say, why do we get this here and that there? And one of the things kind of that informs a lot of that is when you're playing at the corporate level, when you've got a big money contract, somebody spending half a million, a million dollars to have you under contract for a year, effectively, they are casting you on their TV show. And now it is up to you to bring their vision to life. It may not be what the wrestler sees for themselves. It may not be what we want watching it. You've been cast in this TV show and the writer's room has been given a directive, right? Like, so at WWE, for example, a couple of friends of mine for a while served on that writing staff. To be in a room with 24 other writers who are all competing because they want their idea on TV. They want their version of Cesaro to make it to TV. Well, the one who aligns their vision most closely with the guy who signs everybody's paychecks, 
that vision's going on TV. But it might not be the thing I wished for my friend Claudio. It might not be things that the Cesaro section wished that he was doing. And that can be a tough pill to swallow. The whole, like, I'm just here to fulfill somebody else's vision. I think a lot of the attractiveness, especially in the very first couple um, waves of like movement toward AEW was like, well, here you're going to get to experience a greater degree of creative freedom. You may not have to conform in that way. And how true or false that is, well, I don't really know. But that certainly was part of the bait they would put on the hook to be like, don't you want to come over here and play? Don't you think the grass is a little greener over here? Um, it can be frustrating, nevertheless, to watch. I feel that as a trainer, I feel that as a friend, uh, I, I feel that as someone who still watches wrestling, it can be very frustrating. You know what I found very interesting? And I didn't mm. think about this so much when WWE was the big, the big guy in town. I didn't. I didn't think like this, but when AEW came in and started, um, you know, been around for a couple of years now, now I'm thinking like this, and this is how I think. I think, wow, how in the heck do you keep up with this locomotive? Mm -hmm. But I didn't think about that because um, before, because WWE could do whatever they wanted to do, right? We'll do this right. and we'll do that. But now I see Tony Khan, you know, he's got all these wrestlers. He, you know, he started off with this, this independent movement kind of thing. We're seeing a lot of wrestlers come in that weren't mainstream for a long time that maybe we didn't see on a regular basis. Some new names, some familiar names, you know, Cole Cabana came in there, you know, Billy Gunn. And, but you got, got all these new guys too that, you know, we haven't seen. So, mm -hmm. But now when they're bringing in these former WWE guys and some of those guys that we enjoyed watching in the beginning because we didn't know who we were, they were and we wanted to get to know them, they get kind of pushed to the side a little bit. But you see these storylines, if you follow like a, um, say you follow something on Netflix for season after season and season, you see something going in one direction and then you get to season two and you say, hey, whatever happened to that thing with the character, they never followed through with it, right? You know, the storyline was going to go this way, but it didn't. Wonder what happened there, right? I'm kind of doing that with wrestling now. Mm -hmm. sure. You follow me? Yes. And it can be, uh, you know, uh, whether you're watching a Netflix show or you're watching AEW week to week or anything like that, that's serialized entertainment. I want to come back to see the next part of the story. You know, so many times what happens in the real world to the person is then played out or it affects what happens to the character. Um, right. Like uh, I think of another guy who I, I couldn't be proud of the success he's enjoyed these last few years, my student, Eddie Kingston. Um, every once and again, what's happening to his character on TV takes a weird detour or he disappears. And sometimes that's because of what's going on with Eddie in real life. It has nothing to do with the Eddie Kingston character. Um, nowhere else do you really see that. Right. If you followed all four seasons of Stranger Things or whatever, um, it's not like, oh, you know what's going on with uh, Millie Bobby Brown in real life. We're going to try and work that into the season three storyline. Um, no, absolutely not. There isn't that weird blending of the reality and the fiction like we have in wrestling that creates the effect I think you were just calling out. Right. And I threw a lot of information at you <laughs> with that. But but you see where I'm going. Right. I mean. You know, and going back to this locomotive, you know, it's like, you know, 
when you think about running a company like that, it's got to be a little bit overwhelming, you know? I mean, yes. And yeah. And, and Tony Khan is, is probably got a group of people around him, but then he's got his employees and then he's got all, all the wrestlers and everyone's probably just, Hey, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And you should do this. And why aren't we doing this? And, and I mean, and, you know, if, if I had that position, I'd probably become a recluse. You know, I, I wouldn't want to talk to anybody. Yes, exactly. I felt that very intensely um, during the 21 seasons of Chikara I've produced. And in terms of like the stakes, the money you're playing with, Tony Khan is 500 times, a thousand times larger than Chikara ever was. And that um, contributes to the exact effect, right? Everybody wants one minute of your time. Hey, Tony, can I just grab a minute of your time to pitch you this story that just makes me look like I'm the new Stone Cold Steve Austin? Or, hey, here's this new story so I can be the Superman of this company. Can I get another minute of your time? This guy's got to be so busy, he must be going out of his mind. And it wouldn't matter how many infrastructural layers of middlemen are meant to protect him from all of that. He still walks down the hallway backstage. Somebody's popping out of a locker room like, Tony, let me grab you for a minute. Plus, he's busy with, you know, the Jaguars, his other business interests, and still trying to make AEW a priority for him. So I remember reading maybe, I don't know, in the last four or six weeks, a snide remark from someone feeling like they said communication with Tony Khan is exceptionally difficult. Yeah, I bet it is. Um, I can't imagine it would be any other way, uh, especially given how many wrestlers work for AEW. 80? More like, where do you think this guy doesn't have time to have a cup of coffee? Right. Yeah. When when does he sit down to eat? Right. Right. When when does he sleep? Yeah. Uh, I, I can only imagine. Um, so it's easy, you know, uh, especially a longtime wrestling fan such as yourself. It's easy to sit back and criticize, like, oh, why did Vince ever do this, or why did Eric Bischoff ever do that? Can you believe Paul Heyman said this, or now it's Tony Khan, or now it's Billy Corgan, or whomever? Boy, to walk in their shoes for one day would be such an eye-popping experience for 99% of the people who consume their television product. And, you know, just to be clear about that, one of the first times I ever went down working for the WWE's Performance Center, I had a revelation like that. Once I was in that system, looking at what goes into producing just one match of television for them, so much of what they did made sense to me in a way it never could have as an outside viewer. I was like, oh, wow, I totally get it now. I totally get why your TV looks like this now. Um, just having that insight into what their real work day was like, separate from all like all the internet rumors. And not to say that from time to time, you can't read valuable stuff in The Observer, The Torch, et cetera, that type of stuff. I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage that necessarily. But when you get to see the stark reality of, for example, what Triple H's work day is, one, you feel a tremendous measure of empathy, just like we were talking about with Tony Khan, right? When does that dude sleep? Um, that's how I felt about Triple H. Uh, one of the times I got to work right next to him at Gorilla for NXT. I was like, how does this guy deal with the anxiety and stress of this job every week? I'd, I'd burst. I would just explode. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, it might be, you know, I mean, didn't he have some health issues? Yeah, right. He had a big heart scare. Yeah. So 
Right. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, like you said, and it can be fun to sit back and uh, armchair quarterback to, to armchair booker these things on a Tuesday morning after Raw has gone off the air. Um, and that's all well and good and fun. Uh, I like that. But it really was revelatory. The couple times I was down there uh, in all the different capacities, WWE was kind enough to let me work, given I never wrestled for them. There's no, there's no WWE match, WWF match ever where I'm in the ring. And yet they let me produce. They let me coach. They asked me to be a consultant. They wanted my contributions to writing. They could not have trusted me more. And then once I saw their system, uh, it really gave me a, a deep degree of empathy in a way that it's often fun to sit back and just be like, those writers must be the worst writers ever. Or why is it like this and blah, 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 blah. Once I was inside of it, I was like, I don't know how you guys make one hour of TV and you've been doing it for how many years without ever missing one? Like, oh, amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Talk a little bit about Shakara. I, yeah. uh, I know a little, okay? Yeah. And uh, I think that time, uh, the time that they were taking place, I was away from, I was in college and uh, <laughs> I was getting, getting working uh, full-time. And so I was wrestling was not my priority however i heard quite a bit about it tell us you know as far as someone who may not know what it is tell us about it how long it ran uh how did it start you know just give us the give us the whole ball of wax if you can right i'll do my best um so if you subscribe to IWTV, there's 21 seasons of it waiting there for you to explore but it dates back to the end of 2001 when uh, my business partner, Reckless Youth, Tom Carter, came back off of a WWF developmental deal. He'd maybe been with them for 12 or 16 months. And they said, hey, we want you to stay on for another year or two. And he was really quite miserable in their system. At the time, it was based out of Memphis. This predates the Performance Center, NXT, Florida Championship Wrestling. This is years before any of that, right? There's still the WWF. Um, And he said, no. And when he returned to the independence, it seemed as if they'd really beaten a lot of his passion out of him. Um, He really just kind of saw it as we're making product. It wasn't an art form where he could express his creative ideas anymore. It was just product. This is how we make matches. And if you can make matches like this, you get to work on our TV. And if you can't, forget it. And we decided, let's do something that's fun. Let's do something that makes us excited to go to work. If we're going to show up and make shows, we're going to show up and train students. Let's do it in a way that's exciting. And the thing that excited us at that time was the blending of international styles. Let's teach Mexican Lucha Libre. Let's teach what we understand about the old world of sports style from the UK. Let's pull in influences from Japanese pro wrestling. Let's make it a real melting pot. Um, And Chikara is a Japanese word. It means power or strength. Um, We really wanted it, even when you saw the symbol, when you read the name, it immediately said to you, this is not your typical, you know, local championship wrestling with three initials. Um, It's something very different. And we loaded it with our own sense of humor. So it had this, um, you know, weird kind of mishmash of disparate elements that somehow came together to make an interesting flavor. I grew up reading comic books. Uh, I grew up on the Adam West Batman show and and the uh, amazing Spider-Man on CBS. Lou Ferrigno is the Incredible Hulk. So I brought my love of superheroes and comic book storytelling And then we mashed it together with all these international wrestling styles. And it was heavily serialized. The stories would sometimes play out over years. I loved the long form storytelling of the show Lost, for example. Um, I loved the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, um, The Sopranos, 
Dexter, uh, Breaking Bad. I love that long form storytelling where if you really stuck with it, you watched characters transform in a lasting way. Whereas what I felt WWF was very good at was maintaining a status quo. Um, over the 10 years that he is the main character, the John Cena TV character evolves very little. He's roughly the same dude. Like he doesn't rap as much toward the end, but he's roughly the same dude. Um, what's really happened to him? So uh, that appealed to a very specific type of fan. There were fans that wanted that more long-term storytelling, that they wanted the comic booky type characters. And at the time that we started, which was late Attitude Era, it was very much acceptable for kids what we were doing because I felt like let's not try and make what the industry leader is making. If you're going to try and go up against them with a shoestring budget, you're going to get annihilated. And I had worked for promoters who that was their thing. We're going to make WWF, but make it better than Vince. Impossible. You don't have his resources. You don't have his connections. You don't have his money. You don't have his family legacy. You have none of those things. You think you're going to do that on $1,500 in a basketball gymnasium uh, with a guy who washed off TV 10 years ago? I mean, I admire your gusto, but I think you're setting yourself up for failure. So my idea was good walk as opposite from them as humanly possible. But a few years later, after the Attitude Era waned and they moved into this next phase where Cena becomes the main guy, thus beginning the PG era of wrestling, well, then all of a sudden, they were very similar to what we were doing in that we wanted it acceptable for kids. And to me, it spoke to my own childhood where wrestling was banned on TV in my house. When I was a kid, I was not allowed to watch it. It was taboo. Um, it was too violent. Um, it, it, it was rotting our brains to watch wrestling. So when I made wrestling, I don't ever want a parent to feel like, oh, I'm embarrassed my kid is watching this. And the reverse being I never want someone to feel like I'm embarrassed. I brought my grandmother who loves wrestling to see this, right? Like my grandmother loved wrestling. I would want to take her to something she'd be proud to see, not rolling her eyes and saying, why did you bring me to this? So I really wanted it to be as acceptable to all audiences as it could be. Did, was the formula always exactly right? No. Did it make giant mountains of money? Absolutely not. Um, but what an education uh, and what a trip. And along the way, I was lucky enough through my wrestle factory, the training school that was associated with Chikar and continues on to this day. I was so fortunate to train so many people like the Cesaros, the Eddie Kingstons, the Orange Cassidy's, the Drew Gulaks, et cetera, who are now, you know, uh, making huge strides on the international stage. So uh, it's hard not to reflect on that. And especially you know, some of the luminaries I was lucky enough to train with a great sense of pride. Having said that, like Claudio's an interesting example of this, uh, certainly a lot of the, the people I've trained, whether it was at my wrestle factory or, or elsewhere, right? I was involved in the training of Alexa Bliss, of um, Malachi Black, et cetera. So many of these people would have achieved stardom whether they trained with me or not. Uh, I say this with all due humility. Uh, Claudio would have found his way to superstardom whether he moved to the US and trained with me or he'd stayed in the European scene. One way or another, his work ethic and dedication is what got him where he is. And I often have people who turn up at my Wrestle Factory to this day. They're looking to sign up for class and they're like, can you make me into the next Cesaro? And I love to tell them, absolutely I can. You just have to work harder than the guy who is currently that. If you can outwork Claudio Castagnoli, if you have more dedication, you work harder than him, yeah, you can be that. 
but I haven't met another human walking the planet that can. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, again, it kind of goes back to what they bring to the, the table, but also to their determination and wanting, you know, because I, I tell people all the time, you know, um, you know, when we talk about, well, you know, I talk to wrestlers a lot or, you know, fellow authors and, and they'll say, well, I'm not where I I'm, I'm, I'm not quite where I want to be, or I should be, I think I should be further along than this. And, and, and I, I can get into that thinking too. Right. But then I think, well, wait a second, you know, been doing this for five and a half years, six years, look at the progress I have made, look, look what I have done. And so the, the best piece of advice is don't quit. Right. Just, right. Just exactly. Keep on, just keep on going. Just, you know, what you're saying echoes, I was just lucky enough, I was um, coaching up in Boston at a wrestling school over the weekend. And I was saying that what you just said, I was saying that to a, a bunch of rookies there, one of whom it was his first day of training, his first day. The only fair measuring stick is yourself. You cannot compare yourself to, well, where is Sami Zayn today? Or where is Shinsuke Nakamura today? Or how far ahead is Kenny Omega? That's cool, right? If you feel like you should be as far along. I've been doing this as long as Hook on AEW. Why is he further ahead than I am? The only true measuring stick is where you were yesterday. If you are better than you were yesterday, a little smarter about wrestling than you were yesterday, are you a better performer than you were yesterday? Then you're improving and you're on the road to success. Your road might be longer than Hook's, longer than Kenny Omega's. There's no controlling that. But as long as you can honestly say, I am better at my job today than I was yesterday, you're on the path to success. Right, right. We have a few minutes left. You have some books available on Amazon. Please plug them and and tell them what they are and give us a little a little insight of what they're about. Yes. So three of the 10 books I've written are on Amazon.com. So two of them kind of work together. The first is called Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer. And I think if you are currently in wrestling or you want a deeper understanding of what it takes to perform in the ring, it's a quick read that's going to overload your brain with new ideas and concepts. It's going to give you a fresh perspective. And it kind of works in tandem with its follow-up called Toolbox, Building Better Pro Wrestling where I try to help people better understand everything that makes up a wrestling match can be broken into three categories. There's the physical mechanics of the match, like your moves, your spots, reversals, and escapes. There's the underlying structure, the architecture of the story that you're telling. And that third category is performance. It's the way you bring it to life and emote in front of the audience with all kinds of tips, tricks, and new insights to help you along. So seven keys and toolbox kind of work together. And then I recently put something out called Pro Wrestling History, Six Threads and 16 Decades, in which I trace just six innovations in wrestling, like, for example, tag team wrestling or trios matches, six-man tags. Where did they start and how did we get to where we are now? And some go as far back as the end of the U.S. Civil War. It crosses 16 decades of history, just tracing these six threads. It's not a complete history of wrestling. If you want to read about the Monday Night Wars, there's enough books out there to choke a camel. That's not what I've got for you in pro wrestling history. But uh, you may enjoy uh, any or all of them, and the audible versions are read to you by me. So depending on how you feel about the quality of my voice, be careful what you sign up for. What is it about wrestling that you like so much? Because you can't can't sit here and tell me that that you don't like it. Because of course, 
Right. No, uh, I, I have a, a deep love for wrestling because there is nothing else like it. Like the closest things maybe are what the Harlem Globetrotters make or what I see at Cirque du Soleil. You have to be an athlete. Hands down, you've got to be an athlete, but you also have to be a performer. You have to be able to connect with people. Uh, and I really do think maybe the Globetrotters are the closest comparison to what we do. It's exhibition basketball at the end of the day, but they're going to make you laugh. They're going to make you cheer. They're going to make you boo. And it's spectacular. When you watch what those guys can do, it blows your mind. I feel the same way about wrestling. It is so dynamic. And when I go to see like a Broadway musical, it's not the same experience because wrestlers will come out, they'll slap your hands, they will dive into the audience, they might grab the chair that you are sitting on. There's no experience like pro wrestling. And to get swept up in it because you love the characters, you love the stories, you love the action of it, uh, I just think there's nothing better. It's the most dynamic art form out there. And I'm always intrigued to see the way that it's changing, it's evolving, uh, it's morphing into its next phase, and to see who's pushing it in these exciting new directions. Even sometimes when there's new directions where I'm like, you know what, that one's not for me. For every one of those, there's somebody else over here making something even cooler. And I can't wait to see what it is. And it excites my imagination. And it's been evolving, right? It's been evolving since it started. So yes, exactly. If people want to get in touch with you or find you on social media, how do they do that, Mike? The place to find me is my YouTube channel. It's called Till We Make It. And on Till We Make It right now, there's 450 videos of all four aspiring wrestlers. If you want to learn about what the lifestyle, what the work is like, how to create a legacy for yourself, or even if you're just a fan with a deep-rooted love of wrestling, check out Till We Make It on YouTube. About 11,000 subscribers going strong. A treasure trove of information is there. And of course, my books are up on Amazon and audible.com. Uh, and thanks so much, Vinny, for giving me a platform to talk about the thing we all love. Man, I, if we had more time, I could talk to you a lot longer than we did today. So, well, we'll do it again sometime. You know what? People say that all the time, right? I hope we, I hope we make up on it. I hope we, I hope we take each other up on that. Cause I would like to talk to you again. That was amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to the Russellville Podcast, where wrestling lives. Have you ever wondered what happened to Lance Von Erich? Find out in his book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. You'll read stories about Chris Adams, Ric Flair, and Billy Jack Haynes. And of course, the Von Erich family themselves. Get your book today on Amazon. Four-time NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, Luscious Rocky Reynolds. Yo, this is Rod Wallace, Jake Davis. Listen to stories in pro wrestling on the Russellville Podcast. Just incredible. This is ECW Original, the enforcer, C.W. Anderson. This is former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Tim Storm. I'm Vinny Berry, and for more than 20 years, I've covered news and sports specializing in pro boxing, MMA, and wrestling. This is the juicy one, Daniel Ramon. This is the fire starter, Jake Chris. To listen, go to WrestleVille.com or on Spotify. This is Steve Wilson, the man behind the Monster Congo Kong, and you are listening to the WrestleVille Podcast. WrestleVille, it's where wrestling lives.
tune in to the Wrestler Weekly Podcast with Mike Leotis. The Wrestler Weekly Podcast. Mike digs into interesting wrestling topics and conversations. Find Wrestler Weekly on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. The Wrestler Weekly Podcast.